This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, I'm back at my kitchen counter in West Hollywood, California. Roger. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. We're back, and let me ask you the hard-hitting question that everyone in the football world's asking, Davo. Yeah. How's your BMI today? Oh, my BMI. I'm, I'm still... I just got back from Crewbox. Yeah. Rog. I went on Crewbox this morning. I took Jenny Savage's class, Jenny Savage, because she's a bit of a savage. Is that Fred Savage's sister? Yeah, yeah, pretty sure. Could be twins. And um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was crew hit today, Rog, which is the more advanced class, where every 30 seconds... You switch for 45 minutes doing another really unpleasant thing. And uh, I got through that without puking, which is progress for me. Haven't checked my BMI today. At the weekend, I was still hovering around 16.1. I'm just trying to break the 16 ceiling, trying to get into the 15s, Rog. Oh, my BMI is 73% made of bourbon today. I just got back from Louisville, Kentucky. By the way, I love that state. I love Kentucky. And Louisville, I was there a year ago, maybe, for a college football game. That was fantastic. <sighs> GFOP at Martin Mulcahy said, it's the Leicester of America, because no one's really sure how you pronounce it. It is an amazing place. It's not completely Southern. It's not Midwestern. It's not in line with its Eastern Standard Time kind of culture. Somehow it's just a a mix, a, a surreally wonderful mix of all of the above. You can just... So you walk around, you can smell democracy, freedom, barbecue, seersucker, and just the bourbon trail at all times. I mean, it's a magical place, David. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. One of my best friends, you've not met my friend Jenna, one of my best friends in the world is from Kentucky, not far from Louisville. And I always think that you're right. It's not really in the South, but it is. It's sort of on the way to the Midwest. It's very close to, to Ohio, very close to Cincinnati. Oh, there's, a, there's an incredible joy, an incredible just life force that pulsates there. And what blew me away was how much, just how much they love their football. The place, the place is mad for it, Davo. Are you talking soccer, Rog, or, or football football? Soccer, soccer. And Louisville City FC in particular, the defending USL champions now managed by good mate of mine and the great US soccer youth development coach, John Hackworth. The team has a fan base who actually predates the club, which is like the most beautifully American thing. It is the most wonderful American aspect of soccer fandom. They have a, they have a defender who is the bassist from Culture Club's son, Mickey Craig, one of my childhood heroes, his son, Paco Craig, that is just keeping goals at bay in Louisville. But it's like the next Atlanta. And I find it fascinating is all of these cities, Louisville, Nashville, Chattanooga, Memphis, where, you know, and the, the, the places that football was always never meant to grow are football, soccer football, Davo. And it's just completely, I mean, last night in a Molly Malone's, I did go to the wrong Molly Malone's first. I walked in, I was like, hey guys, who wants me? I walked into a totally deserted bar with one. I was like, well, maybe we're not so popular here. And I turned around to John Hackworth and was like, oh, let's get a drink. And he's like, I think we might be in the wrong Molly Malone's. And we drove across town quickly. And then we dropped into the next Molly Malone's. And it was, it was a madness. It was really a madness. How do you understand it, Davo? Because this is basketball country. This is, this is Wildcats country. This is Cardinals country. 
but it's it, the, the love of football there is just over soccer football is just overwhelming. Well, I mean, look, Louisville does not have a lot of professional sport, has a lot of college sport, does not have a lot of professional sport. And look, and I think we're seeing it across the United States of America that love of club soccer, whether it be European or whether it be American, is just growing and growing and growing. What I'm impressed by when I, you know, go to MLS games now or when I'm like around MLS fans is that it's just so many different types. I, I love it. I'm just very excited by what's going on with the game in this country right now. Notwithstanding what we've said about the crowds at recent men's national team games, I just think that the club game is in a really good place. I did have the pleasure of having lunch with a master distiller, master bourbon distiller, and an amateur local historian, a great guy called Chris, and I asked him how he understands why football is just exploding in a city where... It was meant to j just be repulsive to the populace. And he said his serious answer, he didn't have to, he didn't wait a second before answering. He was like, listen, the first ever census of Louisville, 1790, he said 97% of the population were Scots, Irish, or Welsh. He's like, look, our bluegrass music. He said musicologists have realized it's just Scottish folk music lifted up and relocated. He's like bourbon, of which he is a, he's got a black belt in distilling bourbon. He's like, it's just the Scotch whiskey process in a new environment. And so love of soccer, and I love this, is deeply embedded in the DNA of the city. From the 1790s, they've just been yearning for Louisville City to, to come down and start playing games there. I mean, it, there's an incredible <laughs> upside right now. Since before, since before association football yeah. existed in yeah. the 1790s, yeah. when it was just ready. Kicking, a, kicking a pig bladder around a field until you murdered someone. God, That's what they wanted to If you're listening, do. Don Gar, but get back to the pig bladder days. I think that would be an... The MLS should have one weekend where they just use a pig bladder. Just as a just as a hype thing, like the hockey people do the the one game in the open air arena. I should have pig bladder Sunday. I'm taking my hat off, and it's a Louisville hat today. My cap. I'm taking my hat off to your Louisvilles, your Nashvilles, all your Vills, America, because right now the upside, the growth of the sport in your Memphises, your Nashvilles, your Chattanoogas, your Indies, your Cincinnatis. It all just feels, right now, it feels limitless. I mean, it was genuinely a joyous night. I am, as I say, right now, and I got, a, got to Louisville Airport at four o'clock this morning so I could get back for the pod. I am still roughly, my BMI, 70% to 75% <laughs> made of bourbon products. And barbecue, God, I had some barbecue and half. When you turned up at the bar, what did you do? Did you do, did you make a speech? Did you do your one-man show? Like, what did you do? I pretended to be shy, and then I pulled out a hour and a half PowerPoint. <laughs> I really think we should develop a Roger Bennett one-man show. And there should be like a really moving point where you're down on yourself as a teenager. We could recreate your bedroom on stage with all of your Chicago Bears memorabilia, your Budweiser <laughs> stuff, all of your like American music gear. Like Billy Crystal, Spalding Gray, Roger Bennett, a one-man show. Yeah, there could be a whole scene with the Liverpool breaking crew. That could be a dance number. I could write this musical, Rog. Roger Bennett, the musical. I love this. My reaction when you said uh, we could take you back to when you're really down on yourself as a teenager, that's never ended, Dave. That <laughs> has never, the play will just end there. Well, no, it, it's like in, a great, in great musicals, the opening number comes back again in the final number. <laughs> and the opening number with when you're really down is, it, is you can now be down in America. Oh, I, By the way, the dance number when you become an American citizen, the whole thing. We could write, Rog the musical 
is such a hit. You think so? I've got to tell you, I, I, I love your enthusiasm and I love your passion, but I'm hearing the music in my head and it's like <laughs> the most depressing Elliot Smith album of all time. <laughs> Fast Car. We'll get the rights from Tracy Chapman to do Fast Car. We'll do that as sort of like a oh. harmonised duet. Yeah, you can either oh. go and watch Rog the musical or you can just <laughs> just go and take an elephant tranquilizer to feel we'll have the same. We'll have Shaggy write a song. Rog! Wait, oh, that'd be my brief happy moment when, like Tess of the Durbervilles, happiness was but a fleeting emotion in Roger's life. Meeting Shaggy. Roger! Please have Jason Statham play me. Please. This, this is all the, all the perfect segue into talking about this weekend's football, which is possibly the most depressing weekend's football I've lived for a long time. Roger, before we get to the football, we want to thank all the GFOPs who've submitted entries to our annual EA Sports FIFA cover contest. We've been doing this since the 1790s, Rog. Celebrating the release of EA Sports FIFA 19 this Friday. Believe me, George has been counting down every single day. It is the most exciting day in <laughs> Roger's otherwise dark existence. I cannot wait for the Champions League. They're going to have the Champions League in EA Sports FIFA. Believe me, I know. I've been told. Rog, not alone, judging by the avalanche of remarkable entries we've had for this institution of a competition. You can still enter to win. Here's how it works. We want you to look into your footballing crystal balls or eat your pies. Figure out what's going to happen in the year ahead and design the cover for FIFA 20. Not this year's cover, but next year's cover which will symbolise things that haven't happened yet, but you're going to predict. Entries so far, the future, future. Entries so far, Rog, include Vera and Olga of Manchester (laughs) City. Your mate, Olga. We posted that, uh, the entry of Olga and Vera on our Facebook. And we had Olga's grandson chime in on uh, uh, a beautiful message to the east side. Oi, that's my grandma. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Uh, There's also, we've had Neymar falling over a lot. And always the start, referee Mike Dean <laughs> on the FIFA cover for oh. next year. God, can you imagine a Mike Dean journey? If they had the journey, the Mike Dean edition, I'd play that. I would play that all year round. You and maybe three others. Send us, and most of those would be Mike Dean. Send us any and all submissions on social using the hashtag, hashtag MIB FIFA cover or email meninblazers at gmail.com. We will choose a few of our favourites. They'll win a copy, Rog of the brand new EA Sports FIFA 19 game oh. for their game system of choice. I like to play mine on the Olivetti typewriter, Roger. It's an amazing, amazing way to play it. Okay, we've got a pack show. gets cray, Rog, as we move Everton to the top of the rundown and Chelsea to the bottom. It's revolutionary. We taught new boys Wolves. Congratulations on your piece, Rog. That was brilliant. Continuing to show their Premier League metal, taking a point off perpetually grumpy Portuguese big papa, Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. <laughs> and we marvel at not just another win, but another clean sheet for still perfect and top of the table, Liverpool Football Club. Okay, to the football, Rog. Yeah, I want to raise my second first bird of the day. It's actually about my fourth or fifth, to be candid. It was early at the airport. To an odd weekend, to a really odd weekend. In an odd season. Yeah, the storyline of the weekend was the triumph of the little guy. A weekend in which Mo Salah scored a goal. Oh. Mares scored. And then even, and this, this was shocking, Harry Kane scored. I mean, this was a huge weekend for the unlikely hero, Bud Fam, Blood Fam. So I raised my glass to never giving up, never stop believing. Dream big dreams, GFOPs. Everything is possible. Except when you're an Everton supporter. Arsenal (laughs) 2, Everton 0. Okay, but I'm going to start tenderly, with compassion. I jest. 
Let's go right for the juggler, actually. <laughs> After losing his first two games, Unai Emery makes it five in a row in all competitions. After a relatively turgid first 55 minutes, Gunnasaurus's mob flipped the switch when Alexandra Lacazette pinned a long-range blast into the top corner. Obama Yang doubled the lead 138 seconds later with an offside goal that has Rog now championing VAR's immediate introduction into Premier League play and uh, retrospectively, retroactively. Arsenal up to sixth place. Everton, Rog... They're not so much up to sixth. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Big picture. Yeah. Well, context. It was just Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. A time of reflection. And my big takeaway this year, before this game, was I want to try and be more positive. I want to, I want to feel, give hope and love to the world. I want to embrace love. Having said that... I've heard you say this so many times, Rog. At so many New Year's, so many starts of a new Premier League season, at the beginning of World Cups, at the end of World Cups, uh, during international breaks, every time. Anyway, go ahead. Everton's record. It's hard to have hope, Davey. When you look at the record of Everton Football Club against the traditional big dogs in the Premier League, the traditional big six, not pretty, one win in their last 45 away games. They hadn't won at Arsenal in 22 years since one sweet day by Mariah Kerry and boys to men was number one. So I said ahead of this game, a big game on the road, I, d- I described my mood as, let's just say, highly stimulated. Highly, highly stimulated. But in a way, and I don't know if you relate to this, Davo, do you ever have this where you're overwhelmed by dueling emotions of hope and fear in equal measure? Is that ever part of your, your emotional makeup? Never. I can sort of understand what you're saying. Like, I understand the words, and I can, I can <laughs> translate them into my head. I can even maybe put that into French or German. In German, it would just be one word. But I, I've never felt that. I'm just an idiot. I go through with like just absolutely implausible and impossible hope into all situations. It's just like constricting throat and nipples tingling at the same time. And Mm. and I'm not going to get into the down belows, but it's just a, everything is juxtaposed. I was trying to cling on to the the good news. Richarlison back after, after his three match ban, hoping Kane, he'd scored twice on his debut start for Brazil. So I, I will say I'm already starting to worry should I love him as much as I do? Or should I begin to mourn his inevitable leaving? I did, I did love what he said about being a Brazil international. And I wanted to ask you about this, Davo. Neymar, Neymar was Rich Arlison's idol growing up. And he told the press that he, when he was 12, went to his barber and asked for a Neymar haircut, the mohawk. Oh my God. And he said, I didn't quite pull it off because I didn't really have the right hair products. And I thought, who was your hair idol back when you were, when you know, when you had hair? Do you remember, was it Tony Hadley? It's the lead singer of Spandau Ballet, probably Tony Hadley. An incredible flick, an incredible, he had a football, he had a footballer haircut before it was a footballer haircut. Yeah, either him or who was the guy from Haircut 100? Nick Hayward. Nick Hayward, Spandau Ballet, there was those real flicks, it's sort of like the fringe that came down but went to the side. I always struggled, I didn't have a really good part in my hair. So I would crew cut from an early age because I couldn't really grow my hair out. But I always wanted that like perfect soul boy, Nick Hayward, Tony Hadley kind of like flick. Oh, that was tasty. Classic Aaron Ramsey haircut. When I was a kid, my hero was the bionic man. Do you remember him? Steve Steve Austin. Austin. Yeah. 
Six million dollar man. And I used to go into the barber when I was six. A bit like Rich Arlison with a photo of Neymar. I'd take mm-hmm. a photo. And back then in those days, I always got a bowl haircut. I don't know what you call them in America, J-Dubs, where it looks like the barbers just put a bowl around your head and shaved around it. I believe they call it a bowl haircut. They do. God, yeah. America, you say bowl haircut, I say bowl haircut. Um, I went in and took a photo with a bionic man with me, and I said to the barber, can you give me a $6 million man haircut, please? And I, sw- I believe, and I'm not sure if I'm retrospectively imagining this, that I saw my mother in the barber's mirror mouth to the barber the words, bowl haircut. <laughs> anyway, wh- whatever, when the barber had finished, I looked in the mirror all I know is I had a haircut that did not look like the bionic man's at all. It looked, well, let's just say very bull haircutty. And I said to the barber, I don't look like Steve Austin, the bionic man. Bit like Rich Arlison didn't look like Neymar. And my mum just grabbed me by the ear, dragged me out the barbers and shouted, it's because your face is different. <laughs> so I hadn't thought about that in a long time until I thought about poor Rich Arlison. And I, I, I want to say when I think about it, I'm just overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude that I am now bald and I don't have hair problems, freed from the shackles of hair tyranny, David. Rog, much as I enjoyed that story, which I really did, it's amazing the lengths you're going to to avoid talking about Everton's 2-0 defeat to Arsenal. Let's dive in. Let's dive yeah. in. Here's what happened to the game. Yeah, well, Theo, I'll tell you, the greatest highlight of the match for me was Theo meeting Ganosaurus before the kickoff. That was sweet. That was like, honestly, it brought tears to my eyes. Old friends. They did. They look, I don't like to like read in too much, but it looked like they'd, they'd had a thing in the past. It didn't just look like two work colleagues. Did it? Am I right? You're right. You're right. Theo's sadness in human form. But the pain of this game was <sighs> Everton opened with a real plan, with real energy, with a buzzy confidence. Marco Silva's got this. We just harassed. We pressed. The weak point of Arsenal, the glaring weak point. They're just this limp, lumbering back line. And we drove them backwards. We cut off their supply lines. They, yes, they've got a dangerous front line, but they can't do anything to us if they don't get the ball. We'll force mistakes. They'll buckle every time. And they did. I mean, in this game, Czech became the first goalkeeper to make a 1,000 Premier League saves. Honestly, it felt like he made about 999 of them just in that first half alone. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, he had that chance early. He had a chance early, Rog. In like the first minute, I believe, and this may be hyperbolic, anyone with a hyphenated surname would have scored that goal other than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I believe mm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if she was on a one-on-one break in that position, would have finished. And if you're listening, Everton Scouts, please sign Ruth Bader Ginsburg to play it from... But Arsenal looked terrible in that first half, didn't they? The same things we've seen before. Very slow back line, sloppy with possession in midfield. Getting beaten, getting beaten in 50-50 tackles all over the place. Like stuff we've seen before. And when that half-time whistle blew, I couldn't believe the score was still 0-0. I remember I said earlier, when Everton play a top six team, I'm always overwhelmed by, by hope and fear in equal measure. Just after that first half, hope was just surging through my, my bloodstream. And I, I tweeted about this. Because experience is a teacher, and as all Evertonians know, nothing makes us more fearful than feeling hopeful about Everton Football Club. It's always a trap, Davo. It's always a trap, a cunning trap. So it proved to be. Poor Jordan Pickford, after 55 minutes, Rod flies through the air with the greatest of ease. Alexandra Lacazette, what a 
What a blast, Rog. What a blast. He's good. I enjoy watching him play football. You do. I and mean, when we sat through, we had to sit through five minutes of Lee Dixon excoriating Arsenal for just ragging on Ozil. Descri- I think he used the words bereft, rudderless, he shouted. And then the just the most, oh, the most biting low grade burn I've ever heard, which is even I scored against Everton. And when he <laughs> said that, I just turned to my kids and I said, there is so much quality in that Arsenal front line. All it needs is one moment of lucid play. And that was it. Lacazette pirouetting in the box, like, like an archer pulling back an arm to dispatch a flaming arrow straight into the corner. I'll be candid, David. I don't, again, you probably have not had this emotion. When that ball went in, in a perverse way, I almost felt relieved when Arsenal scored. You've never been happier. Yeah. It was it, Why, though? Because it was like a Band-Aid that had been ripped off. I'd lived my worst fear. I'd lived through Everton wasting chance after chance. All credit, by the way, to Arsenal for taking theirs. But I felt relieved that it had happened. And I looked down and my arms still worked. My legs still could move. I was still alive. I mean, yes, worse was to come. And this really pissed me off. Obama Yang, about an acre offside, a Hector, a biblical Dunam. What pissed me off? Everton fans are rightfully bitter about the offside. That didn't annoy me as much as just the Everton reacting to adversity by collapsing, by wilting. All of that first half optimism had just evaporated. We had no bloody Baker Mayfield to sub in and, and conjure miracles. What happened? You had an amazing transfer window, an amazing transfer window. You don't get points for transfers. You don't. I mean, West Ham, you've got no points. Come and play us. You can have points. Arsenal. You want to play like crap and win and have Peter Cech born again? Yeah, he wishes our command and, that, and that's it. It's dispiriting. It's depressing. I mean, it is. A, the Tyrion Lannister quote in this, in this game, a day will come when you think you are safe and happy and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. I live that. But you've got to credit Arsenal, though. They play crap and won, right? That's what good teams do, Rog. So pay tribute because that's your line. What did you take away from an Arsenal POV? I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of teams would have punished them in that first half. And I think they were very, very fortunate to go in nil-nil. Uh, and Everton were profligate in front of goal in that first half. They had a lot of chances. So I feel like a better team would have taken them. So I don't think we've learned too much about Arsenal. But you've got to credit them. You can only beat who's in front of you. I feel like Arsenal, Unai Emery, after a slightly rocky start, yeah. I kind of like his confidence. I like, I like the cut of his jib, Rog. I like the way... He's, I like his energy in interviews. I think I like the way the players respond to him on the sideline. There's something about this guy. It's a very weird feeling for me. I quite like Arsenal right now. I quite like them. He's got the countenance of a really nice undertaker. Like when I die, I hope he's running the funeral home that my family buried me in. But four straight wins in the league, five straight overall. Still a work in progress. Still question marks all over the place in the medium term. Ozil, check. That back line, my Arsenal supporting mate, Michael Cohen, not the awful Trump lawyer, another Michael Cohen, my mate, the best Cohen, apart from Tariq. He said... And Andy. <laughs> and Andy. Tariq, Andy and Michael Cohen. Could there be three more different Cohens in the world? And by the way, Tariq Cohen, if you're listening, I want you to start using the nickname Tariqo. It's a terrible nickname, but I love it. He texted me after the game, huge Arsenal fan. He said, I just watched two mid-table teams crap it out. Arsenal were terrible. And he said, the only difference between the two teams was that you had Theo Walcott playing for you this time. 
Oh my God. I think it's very kind of him to describe Everton as a mid-table team. I would take some great hope out of that. That's what I texted him. I said, I'll snap your hand off for mid-table <laughs> right now, mate. I, I will say this, Arsenal fans. I joked earlier in the season that to support Arsenal is to live out Nietzsche's words, that to live is to suffer and to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. So I want to thank all of you who rightfully threw that tweet right back into my face at the final whistle. For Everton, one win under Marco Silva, the saviour. Thus far, no clean sheets. And the worst news of all, here's our coming games. Leicester, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. A brutal gauntlet where it's hard to see where the points are going to kind of fall from the sky there. Uh, what is the hardest thing in the world for you to watch, David? I'm guessing for you it would be a Roger Bennett sex tape, right? <laughs> oh my God, don't even put that. Don't even put that into my brain. <laughs> J-Dub's face. Oh my God, that's awful. Just this is With radio and podcast being the theatre of the mind, the fact that you put that not into my brain, JW's brain, but the, but the minds of the entire audience, it's just, it's just appalling. Because I'm thinking about the one-man show, the Roger Bennett one-man show. There will not be a sex scene. I'm telling you as your producer, <laughs> there will not be a sex scene in, in Rog the Musical. I just want to assure everybody. Am I destined to face the world's cool sufferings alone? What is the worst thing for you other than that? to watch what do you hate watching i hate watching mediocre sport and mediocre effort and mediocre skill i hate mediocre i love watching teams like tear at each other i like aggression the worst thing i can think of watching is if the salmon sisters and that awful rabble of huckster children from the 1877 cars for kids commercial Mm -hmm. if they somehow some agent decided it was a good idea that they filmed some sickness of a crossover commercial special together, like a 1877 Cars for Salmon thing. This Everton performance, to me, was even harder to watch than that would be. Don't worry about it, Rog. They should stay up. Arsenal, you mean, yeah. Man United won, Wolves won. Jose Mourinho's side dropped points at home despite taking the lead. United hit first on 18 minutes when Fred, Rog, finished off the deft Paul Pogba dying. That was a lovely layoff. But the Premier League acute accent enthusiasts equalised on 53 minutes when a Zhao Moutinho strike saw them continue their impressive confidence start to the campaign. Let's start off in the new way of Rog, optimism and joy. Let's say the best sight of the weekend for United fans, for everyone who loves the game of football, was watching Sir Alex Ferguson return to Old Trafford back where he belongs, right, David? Yeah, it was great. Coming back after his brain hemorrhage, I believe. Rog, back in the stands for the first time. Wonderful, wonderful tribute paid to him by the uh, Old Trafford faithful. To health and happiness, Sir Alex. But United and now in Mourinho's hands. And, and last week, remember, Jose drops surging Watford. Javi Gracia, the young Spanish pretender manager of the moment. This time, he had to square up, well, essentially, essentially to the entire Portuguese national team. And he found, in his team's third game of the week, he found the going a whole lot harder. I mean, Wolves, little known fact, they're named after Los Lobos, just another band from East LA. They are, they are fearless, David. They do not back down. Wolves are a good football team, Rog. This is a good Premier League side. Yeah, I mean, we should celebrate United opening the scoring. We should celebrate Pogba's creative impulse, that exquisite, instant, deaf slip pass, which set up Fred to bury. At Old Trafford in years past, David, that would have been it, particularly against a, a freshly minted Premier League opponent. Wolves, though, they are fearless. They are fearless under Nuno. 
they, they don't back down. They were undeterred. And what was fascinating about this game, they came at United with their Ruben Neves-inspired triangles. They, they seemed to take confidence and, and poise despite going 1-0 down. And, and they got their reward just for unflagging belief. And just going at United, at Old Trafford, with no fear at the beginning of the second half, Helder Costa working the ball inside to Raul Jimenez, who set up Moutinho to smack the ball home. Jose Mourinho won. Portuguese national team won. And United's response? It was dull. It was dull, Rog. It was just dull. This, more than any other Man United game this season, shocked me a little. This was the first time that I really, and you know I've been like, underestimate Jose Mourinho, underestimate Man United at your peril. But this was the first time, and believe me, Chelsea, as I'm sure United fans are screaming right now as I say this, that Chelsea weren't good this weekend either. But it's the first time that I felt, you know what, Mourinho and his players, they're just not on the same page. What was it that made you feel that? I mean, it was an uninspiring response, tactically just lumping the ball forward. There was very little creativity. Uh, most disappointing of all, and I take no pleasure in this because at his best, he's a bundle of joy. Alexis Sanchez, 757 minutes without a goal. I mean, that his best performance in a United jersey is that piano work in the announcement video when he signed. What has happened, David? I don't know. A star in Spain a star at Arsenal, a fantastic player at Arsenal. And at Man United, it's just like hasn't worked. He might not like living up north, Rog. Could be that. I mean, it could be that his strengths, which are fast-breaking attacks, are the opposite of the United game plan, which is slow, cumbersome, aerial. And he looks lost. I just, I watch him and I imagine him going home to a darkened room in some Manchester suburb with just Atom and Humber for company and just like looking in a big piano songbook, something like the most depressing Elton John song. I don't know, what, what's the most depressing Elton John song of all time? The one about a slip noose hanging in my darkest dreams. The one that <laughs> someone saved my life tonight, whatever it is, and just tinkling around. And it really, really breaks my heart. United floundered, but Wolves unleashed oh, Adama Traore just... Another dazzling cameo for that super sub. He's like watching him. It's like watching Itchy and Scratchy buried within the brilliance of a Simpsons show. They, they kept trying to land a haymaker right into the end. Usually you're used to watching Man United at home in a game like that, that they are tying, that they need to go and get a goal to win. It would be Man United wave after wave after wave of attack. That's what the old Trafford faithful are used to seeing. That's what we're used to seeing from Manchester United. The reality was they were playing defence against Wolves the entire time. They were scared. You could see that they were scared of what Wolves could do for them. Yeah, and Wolves, you know, disappointed probably. They thought they could have taken it with a couple more minutes, but they will be elated with a point. They're second against the Manchester Giant in their six games after reclaiming a Premier League status. And I want to raise a glass to Wolves fans. I mean... That team, one of the best in the world in the 50s, again in the 70s, and then the 80s, the stadium became rat-infested. It was empty. But you know, this money that's come in from the Chinese conglomerate, Fosun, who do know what they're doing, as opposed to other Chinese conglomerates who've taken over West Brom, Birmingham, Aston Villa, and to watch Molyneux and the fans on the road at Old Trafford rocking again, watching world-class footballers charge around in their old gold. Must be, must feel exhilarating to be a Wolves fan right now. United, eight points back in the title race after six games. And Mourinho doing 
what Mourinho does, throwing his players under the bus that he normally likes them to park. You know, this stuff about Wolves played like a World Cup final, which was clearly aimed at his only player who was in a World Cup final, Pogba, you know, clearly sniping away. It's almost like he wants to get fired, David. But ultimately, the United board have a decision to make, which is, do they get rid of their a glut of their players who've fallen out with Mourinho. In that situation, you always get rid of the coach. It's almost like he's daring the board to get rid of him. Liverpool 3, Southampton 0. Three first-half goals, including Mo Salah's third of the season, Rog. See Liverpool remain top of the table. Although, some cause for concern for Reds fans. Southampton looks so poor, they realise their most prolific trout farm may be all dried up, Rog. It might have been fished out. Oh, I hate it when I'm fished out. 3-0, and even Mo Salah scored another win, another clean sheet, picking up where they left off and that Champions League triumph, that glorious triumph midweek. Adrenaline, that wonder, oh, magical win against Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, what, what a night, a glorious night at Anfield. Klopp's Liverpool, so many weapons. Mane Mane, Bobby Chompers and goal drought to Mo Salah. And they augmented it with Swiss Maverick, perfect cube shape that is Shakiri, right behind them for his first Premier League start. What's it like for you watching Shakiri, who we know almost from another sitcom, crossing over into a, a character entering a completely different sitcom? Well, I mean, it's funny because you were saying that and I was thinking about Charlie Sheen. But when you first saw Charlie Sheen in Two and a Half Men, where he'd sort of been a sort of a Brat Pack movie star, and then he's suddenly in a sitcom and you thought, this looks a little odd. But then suddenly you realise it's the biggest show on television. Maybe a bit like that. Yeah, and then you ultimately prove to be right when he, he just totally imploded. Oh, this is how the Shakiri story is going to end. He's the Premier League shot, Charlie Sheen. It's going to end up with Shakiri writhing on the floor, <laughs> tweeting about tiger blood. Oh, can't wait till we fast forward to that bit. But in yeah. this game, within 10 minutes, he cut through the left, smacked the ball home off Wesley Hooch. For the perfect start for Liverpool Football Club, Southampton were just doomed from that moment on. The only suspense was, would slumping Mo score a goal? At M Horsey tweeted, I actually think the suspense is which Southampton player will be sold to Liverpool in a public auction at half-time. And while we're thinking about it, Matip rose up, headed home from way downtown to double the lead. The only suspense in the game now seemed to be, would Mo Salah celebrate when everybody else in his team scored? And then he did find the back of the net, Dave, to prove finally that he's no Egyptian Brady Anderson. Fantastic result for Liverpool. Again, they're top of the league. They've won six straight. They haven't looked in danger of losing or not winning three points any single time out. I mean, I've joked about Liverpool's title to lose, but right now you just, they don't look like a defeat or non-victory does not seem possible for this team. You can't imagine. It's like looking out in your garden at summer when winter seems impossible. It is just a, a defeat. A, a non-victory situation does not seem possible for Liverpool right now. I love winter. I mean, the, the tabloid media have got nothing to write about Liverpool. Six wins on the trot for the first time in their 122-year history. They've got like plum low-grade intrigue, like what's wrong between Klopp and absent new signing Fabinho? I will say next week's game against Chelsea, we'll talk about that in a minute because it is looming. But one lovely note about this game, it was Jurgen Klopp's 600th of his managerial career. He's won 296 of them. First match 17 years ago when he led Mites to a 1-0 win. Different glasses, different hair, new teeth. 
Somehow, and I don't know how he's done this, Davo, he's picked up a tan in Liverpool, but his unique approach to football and his unique approach to life, he really is a, a life force and an unbelievable transformational change agent. That approach remains the same. I've got huge respect for his passion and not just for football. And I love this quote ahead of this 600th game milestone. He said, I only see the difference when I look in the mirror. Inside, nothing changes. And then in a true clock, quip he said there are better managers than me out there but it's never stopped me from doing my best there was a moment I don't know if it was at the weekend or if it was during the Champions League where he was just instructing one of his players before he went on the field and just like the, the hugging of him the embrace of the young player was so it was gorgeous but it was warm it actually made you feel so good about that football club I think others might have been cre- creeped out by it. I just thought it was just like absolutely wonderful to see how close he is with his players. Cardiff, nil. Manchester City, five. The defending champions. Remember them? They took a while to warm up, then absolutely blew the socks off an outclassed Cardiff. Sergio Aguero marked his 300th Manchester City appearance with his 205th goal for the club. We do not talk about him enough, Rog. Also on the score sheet, Bernardo Silva. Uh, Ilke Gundogan and the Etihad's Algerian ambassador, Riyad Mahrez, who scored his first two goals since joining the club. City are now up to second, two points behind Liverpool. An important win for the reality TV All or Nothing stars after that Champions League damp squib debacle against Lyon. A ferocious victory in their battle to prove that they, and not Cardiff, are football's best city. I'm just kidding. Everyone knows it's you, Orlando. But... Yeah, the potency of Aguero. You're right, we do take it for granted. In this game, for me, it was Bernardo Silva, who was really oh, a standout. And he, you watch him, he really seems to be bedding in now into that starting eleven as a really key personality, not just an episodic contributor, a pathway that maybe Riyad Mahrez will start to follow after he finally scored in this one twice. For him, you can see adapting to a pep team it's akin to kind of a crash coursing a PhD, I imagine. And City fans will hope that his jinking moves and that double will be a sign that he's ready to get his Guardiola doctorate. I do feel for Cardiff, though, Dave. I really, really do. They were completely obliterated uh, in this game. And Neil Warnock and, and Pep have a terrible relationship, and he will have been absolutely smouldering on the drive back to Cardiff. However, you have a film coming out on Cardiff City. This Sunday at 1.30pm Eastern Time on NBCSN. Looking forward to seeing that one. Your Wolves film was fantastic, Roger. Oh, Dave. I sat there. I was in a bar. I was watching. I kept on saying, that's my mate. That's my mate. That's my mate up there. That's my mate. That's my mate. I was just workshopping my one-man show. I know. It's a musical. <laughs> They're orange, not gold. They're orange, not gold. By the way, in this in, in this Cardiff show, I, I was terrified, but I asked Neil Warnock to his face. I, I asked him about his Wikipedia page, which has like his early days, his parents, his career. And then I said, you've got a section entitled Disputes that runs 2,179 words. And it covers disagreements with 17 players, including many of your own, other managers, entire clubs, referees, and the actor Sean Bean. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he pulled a face. I thought he was actually going to rip my heart out. And then he just started laughing and he goes, I can't wait to add to it this season. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. Uh, Brighton won Spurs 2. Rog, 
aqua clad spurs. I love aqua clad spurs. Show some steel during a South Coast Saturday on which the sun took a comp day. Just throngs of rain during this one, Rog. But a Harry Kane penalty and another goal from substitute Eric Lamella. See Spurs pick up three points after losing two league games in a row. They're currently in fifth on 12 points. They're back, Rog. Yeah, they're back after suffering three defeats in a row for the first time since I think he joined Tottenham Hotspur, Pochettino, to fend off really his first true doom spiral as a Premier League manager. Six changes after that humiliating, and I say in the oldest definition, I thought we'd left this vintage definition of oh-so-spursy Champions League self-emoliation behind. And this game, watching them, it was less football. It was more watching like a footballing version of Hugh Grant doing Leno after being found with that hooker off Sunset Boulevard. They were like, it was like watching a once squeaky clean celeb looking to redeem their reputation after, a, let's say, a personal wobble. Is that what you thought too? I'm sure your mind went there. Yeah, no, definitely a little bit. It was all about that Hugh Grant incident, <laughs> right? <laughs> they had so much possession, 78%, I think, in the first half, but they couldn't finish. And what they needed was one free-scoring English striker, Glenn Murray, to have an inexplicable handball to empower a slightly less free-scoring English striker, narcoleptics Harry Kane, to score from the spot. There were nerves at the end. It needed Vaudeville's Lamella to stroll on super sub style uh, and finish off the game. Slight wobble uh, at the end. Some nerves. But now Spurs fans can look to Huddersfield, Cardiff, West Ham awaiting nine possible points to reignite the season and a Champions League game against Barcelona thrown in there just for kicks. So blue skies ahead for Tottenham Hotspur. Another team who managed to get back to winning ways, Rog. Burnley, the Clarets. They beat Bournemouth 4-0, picking up their first win of the Premier League season by battering a much-fancied Bournemouth team, Rog. Goals from off-season derby acquisition, the Czech, Mate Vidra, Aaron Lennon. Remember him, Rog? And two from Ashley Barnes. Help ease any GFOP concerns that Sean Dyche won't be a part of Operation Overlord 2 at Turf Moor. Off the bottom of the table, welcome back, Burnley. That win must have felt, for Sean Dyche, like having a septic boil lanced. It must have felt amazing. Fulham won, Watford won after falling behind to an Andre Gray goal. Just 87 seconds into the game, Fulham fought back, Rog, really well to earn a draw thanks to a 78th-minute goal from the Premier League striker most in need of the Headspace app. Alexander Mitrovic, he was magnificent in this game, Roger. The Serbian is now tied with Eden Hazard as the league's leading scorer with five goals. GFOP at Navarro tweeted, I dare anyone to watch my 72-year-old Chilean mother screaming at Watford versus Fulham on TV for 90 minutes and then ask me at the final whistle, who's playing? <laughs> and not laugh and fall in love with the game. Leicester 3, Huddersfield 1. After losing two straight, the Faxers come back from a goal down to get their third win of the season. Thanks in large part to bright young star, free kick specialist and the uh, Federalist Papers co-author, Rog James Madison. Also on the score sheet, <laughs> Kelechi Ihianacho and a man we're sure has read the Federalist Papers in full, Jamie Vardy. <laughs> Palace nil, Newcastle nil. Nothing pretty about this one, Rog. Wilfred Zaha was repeatedly hacked down. He's not really getting the protection he's seeking. Aaron Wan Basaka appeared to be hit by a bottle thrown from the stands and a shocking Mamadou Sako miss. That hurt, Rog. The Toon, Huddersfield and Cardiff are the only teams yet to win a game this season. And finally, West Ham nil, 
Chelsea nil. I couldn't have predicted this result. Sarri Ball's 100% start to this Premier League season comes to an end at the London Stadium in a game that never really got out of first gear, Rog. The Hammers, however, nearly won it when Andrei Yamalenko put a point-blank header wide in the second half, Rog. I'll credit you because West Ham, as we all know, last week established themselves objectively as the best team in the world. Yeah, but after beating Everton away. Yeah. This week, though, they were shorn of their main threat. Yeah. Onautovic, cruelly sidelined with a knee injury. Did you believe at kickoff that this was the game where the sorry revolution had come to a splutter in what was a bit of an eyesore? Look, the only moment of doubt for me is that Chelsea have played so badly at the London Stadium over the last few years. And they always struggle against West Ham. London derbies are really, really hard games. They're always, always, always tight. You know, look, yes, you're right. West Ham could have stolen at the end. Chelsea had a few chances as well. An amazing save, Fabianski's save with his oh. head, Rog, just with his face, with the middle of his face. I actually think Morata missed on purpose. He was close range. And I think his <laughs> mind was like, what should I do here? Should I, should I take the glory of, you know, scoring a winner when I really need one? Or do I prefer the peculiar sadistic joy of smashing it right against <laughs> Fabianski's face. Yeah. No, it was, it was an odd save. I mean, Chelsea, I think, should have won the game. But West Ham fought valiantly. And you're right, Yarmolenko could have stolen it at the end very easily. Definitely that Snodgrass ball was the cross of the weekend. It was tasty. It was odd, though, because Sarri ball, it's all about control, possession, an enormous amount of passing. Oh, so many passes. It was futile passing. So many, exactly, Rod, so many passes. I mean, I mean, Jorginho racked up more passes than any player in Premier League history, 180. But to no effect at all. And not a single one of them went forward. Yeah, why would they go? Why would they why go forward? Why would you pass forwards? Why? Yeah. Tell me, make one damn good reason. I mean, they probed. They plumbed. They prodded. They had the ball in the final third for almost the last 20 minutes. Could not find a killer ball. I mean, in this game, it was just like, if Hazard cannot make just the, the magical, just the sublime happen then they, they really do struggle. They really, really I, I felt watching this, and I wondered if you would give your team a pass here, that the Europa League and the, and, and the missed flight, the delayed flight on the way home, gave an assist to West Ham here. I think they had like two days, a day and a half to recover from the Europa League game, and that should, that should be taken in there. Hazard didn't play in the Europa League, so I just don't really know. And I think if you're going to be an elite team, you've got to play in Europe and turn up in the Premier League. Sarri Ball is taking a while to bed in. With me, it's going to take even longer because, you know, I'm not sure in the Premier League if they're going to get away with what Sarri Ball actually looked like at Napoli. Because Premier League teams press and hound and press and hound. Every single team in the league presses and hounds. And it's very, very tough to go and play that kind of ball. So what you end up with is this version of Sarri Ball with this limp, pointless passing around the field. And I've got to say, I think Cesc Fabregas must be sitting on that bench just watching this thinking... What is this? What is this football? I think the players are getting very lax, very lackadaisical with the whole thing. I thought William had a, one of the poorest games I've seen him have in a Chelsea shirt. Just didn't really have the energy. You know, Hazard can't do it all himself. It didn't work. You know, this whole combination of Giroud that everybody's been talking about. Actually, they did look better. They looked livelier when Morata came on as a sub, which is saying something. So, I don't know. I'm not... Look, I think Chelsea are doing very well to... Uh, be third place in the table right now. They've only dropped two points all season. I think they're doing very well. I think it's a little flattering to them. They've got some tough fixtures coming up. We're going to know a lot more about them, certainly after next weekend. Yeah, I mean, credit West Ham, making progress, slow progress, but progress. Uh, first four games, they just seem 
gutless, planless. Here, they were tactically organised. They definitely drew strength and confidence as it went on. But Sarri's 100% record's gone. He said afterwards, the Liverpool project is a year ahead of Chelsea, which honestly sounded optimistic to me, to be honest. I mean, Klopp has had a much greater head start to get his house in order. And we will find out for sure this week. Chelsea played Liverpool twice, once in the League Cup, 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 then at home at the weekend in a massive, massive test of Sarri's ability not to light up on the sideline for realsies. Now to footballing news from these shores. The North Carolina Courage, Rog, are your NWSL 2018 champions. They defeated the Portland Thorns 3-0 Saturday in front of a record-breaking crowd of more than 21,000 at Providence Park. Well done, well done, well done. Yeah, it was an amazing game. One of the best games I have watched. It was the best game I watched at the weekend. It was a repeat of last year's final and... North Carolina Courage gained their revenge and then some in a romp, capping hats off to them. A record-breaking season. They won the double. They lifted their second consecutive NWSL Shield. They set new season records for most wins, fewest losses, most points, most goals scored, fewest goals allowed, most shutouts, and probably most records broken in an entire season. Two goals from the Pride of Phoenix, Arizona. Jessica McDonald paced the win at a packed Providence Park. Genuinely thrilled, genuinely thrilled for the courage. They are, we've always said, the greatest named franchise in American pro sports. And in this week, hurricanes couldn't stop them. So mere mortals, they never had a chance. Magnificent champions. Your Premier League weekend looks like this. It kicks off 7.30am Eastern Time Saturday with West Ham versus Man United at 10am. Suddenly surging Arsenal host Watford in a low-key, tasty matchup of adjacent training grounds. Then, that <laughs> afternoon, it's the big one. Still perfect Liverpool come to Stamford Bridge to take on Chelsea in the Managers in Pyjamas derby. And Monday at 5.30pm, after Bournemouth versus Crystal Palace, we're sorry. It's the Men in Blazers show with special guests USA Young Guns, PSG's Tim Weir and Schalke's Weston McKinney. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister Roche to see what this weekend holds what is your Jägermeister telling you, Roger? Oh, <laughs> I needed that. Oh, I feel great about life again, Davo. Thank you, Jägermeister. My Jägermeister, taste of an epic battle between light and darkness, between good and evil, between Liverpool's front three and David Luiz's modicum of discipline. I see goals, Davo, for Mo Salah. I see goals for Bobby Firmino with a backbreaker. I see seven in a row for Liverpool. I what? see with, I see us seven games in a oh, row. Oh, so I thought they were going to score seven. I thought, wow, oh, that's see, strong Jaeger. <laughs> that's strong medicine, friend. I see seven wins in a row for Liverpool. I see us living in an unprecedented time of darkness, David. Wow. Okay, Rog, let me sip my Jaeger. It's a sipping drink. It is a sipping drink. You know what <laughs> this sip tastes like to me, Roger? It tastes of... Order restored in North London. Regular listeners to this podcast are going to be shocked, Rog. But I like Arsenal beating Watford, passing Spurs on goal difference to re-enter the top four for the first time since December 16th last year. I like your Jägermeister better than mine, David. There are many other ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart, Rog. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to introduce... Uh, additional, albeit suboptimal, content. What are you putting in the board, Mark, this week, Roger? 
Well, I pick the same book every year at this time. The book I read on Yom Kippur, The Drowned and the Saved by my favorite writer of all time, Primo Levi. The gentleman I wish we could most have as a guest on the pod. I wish he was still with us. The book is a collection of essays that he wrote about his personal experience in Auschwitz. But it's really about experience and memory, how real life becomes history, how the stories are told and by whom. My favourite is the essay, The Grey Zone, which looks at the human need that we have. I say we, I mean I, to reduce everything to a simplistic level of good and evil black and white, winners, losers. And he, he, he writes about how the reality is everything is really shades of grey. It's what you always say to me, mm. Davo. And that essay is the single most meaningful piece of writing that I've ever engaged with. Every year, I reread it and take something new out of it. And it is sadly, I'll say this, particularly poignant against the backdrop of today's realities. Everyone is guilty of simplifying the things that surround them. Yeah, yeah, Manchester United fans, even me, and reading this essay every year, it's the best way that I've found of reflecting on, let's just say, my lesser tendencies. Oh, Rog. Well, you know what? It takes a lot to get my mind off the gardens of Marrakesh, Rog. But I've got a new crush. <laughs> I've got it bad, Rog. I have it bad for a 1988 Toyota Land Cruiser, Rog. The Land Cruisers of the late 1980s are one of the most beautiful, beautiful vehicles ever made i've been watching one on ebay i literally go back on ebay maybe 25 times a day to look at this 1988 sort of steel blue land cruiser it's got this sort of you know two-tone interior but the 1988 toyota land cruiser are you watching it or are you bidding on it i've 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 got a little bit of you know when you just can't shoot you want to take the shot you want to take the shot you can't quite take the shot I, if other people were bidding, I think I'd be bidding, but no one else has bid. There's just a buy it now button, and I come so close. I hover my little cursor over the buy it now button all the time. God, it's a gorgeous car. I buy a lot of vinyl on eBay. You would buy a automobile sight unseen off eBay. Yeah, there's a lot of vinyl in the Toyota Land Cruiser of 1988 <laughs> as well, Rog. I would buy this in a second. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'd buy it off eBay. <sighs> oh, let's just say pictures. Oh, it didn't happen. Okay, uh, one quick note before we go, Rog. You've got a pod special with New York Red Bulls and U.S. Men's National Team. 19-year-old midfield dynamo Tyler Adams dropping towards the end of this week. Look out for that on our iTunes and Spotify. Oh, he's a magnificent young man. He's coming in tomorrow, and I, we can't wait to be with him. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. We wrote a book. It's called Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka. It's amazing. Uh, it's available on very a, a, popular an, obscure, an obscure little website called Wamazon. Uh, it rhymes with Wamazon, Rog. It's everything we know about football, and it's shockingly longer than three pages. Vendepunk Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Matombo? I like snacks. Balls win. Balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. What's it that Val says? You've got the wrong kind of face. I don't look like the six million dollar man, <laughs> mummy. Your face is different. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Love you too, Roger.